welcome to Hey YA. From great new books to favorite classic reads in news stories um, to the latest in on-screen adaptations, Hey YA is here to elevate the exciting world of young adult lit. Hey YA is a book riot podcast hosted by Erica Ezefetti and me, Tears of Price, and we are recording this on January 27th. So hello, Erica. Hi, hi, hi. How are you? I am great. Yes. Yeah, so lovely to be chatting with you once again. And yes, and we've got a lot of exciting like announcements Mm -hmm. and and just so many interesting happenings in the world of Mm -hmm. YA lit. So um, that is always exciting. But um, I think before we get too far into this episode, I do want to say I know that this episode is airing on February 1st, and we are recording this, of course, on January 27th. The ALA Youth Media Awards were announced on January 30th. Um, and I say were, it's weird because, like, that's in the future for us yeah. right now. Um, <laughs> and so, like, we're not going to talk about those because we don't have a time machine. <laughs> so we don't know what's won yet. Um, just because of the way, like, our recording and our editing schedules shake out. Like, mm-hmm. um, we will actually, I will address those um, next week. So I know that if you are listening to this, um, you probably already know what won the Prince of Award and you know the William Morris Award and all the Newberry and Caldecotts. Um, it's always a fun time, but we don't know them yet, so we're not going to talk about them until next week's episode. So just in case you're like, "Geez, I thought this was like a YA podcast. Like, why aren't they talking about this thing that just happened?" Mm-hmm. That's why. Yeah, but I'm very excited to get up early and watch the live cast. Get up at 8 a.m. I mean, <laughs> yes, get up at 8 That makes it sound like That's I'm exciting. lazy. No, I'm, I'm going to get up earlier than that. But also, yeah. if I could sleep past 8 a.m. every day, that would I be mean, my ideal. Unfortunately, it is not my reality. <laughs> I feel you. I luckily, my cats don't wake me up, but I feel for you. It sounds funny, the story you told me about your cats fighting, but... Oh, yeah. The story I was telling Erica before we got on air was, like, my my all my pets have, like, this internal clock. And mm. if the dogs do not wake me up between 6 and 6.30, the cats wake me up by just, like, engaging in an epic cat brawl. And... <laughs> Like, they don't really hurt each other. It's just, like, they're all hangry, and they want to be fed, and they get on each other's nerves, and then they have a cat brawl, and they start yowling, and that's how I wake up. I haven't had a set alarm so for weird. ages. <laughs> yeah. Yes. They're, they're something. <laughs> I feel like it'd be funny if, like, say you're doing, like, a book tour or whatever, and you fly out somewhere, and you're so used to getting woken up by the, the sounds of cats brawling, you have to have your alarm, like... <laughs> The alarm is just a cat fight sound. Right? Just like, I have to record it before I leave home so I can set it as my alarm sound. Yes, you do. <laughs> You're like, oh, feels like home. <laughs> That's amazing. Honestly, though, there are fewer things that get me out of bed faster than, like, the sound of, yeah. like, a cat fight. And also the sound of any pet, like, about to throw oh. up on something. I'm like, I'm, I'm You're like, <laughs> so. My puke senses are tingling. <laughs> right. I'm sorry to anybody who's listening to this. Sorry, like, oh, yeah. gosh, you did not tell us that we were going to be talking about animals in this way. Sorry. You My thought God. you were listening to a YA podcast. You thought <laughs> wrong. JK. Right. We'll get back to it. But yes, I thought that was super funny. And people needed to know that. That's so funny. I just felt like it's funny me hearing about it, but I'm sure I'd be super mad. <laughs> waking up i would be so tight <laughs> yeah. i would be so upset Ooh. i've just kind of come to accept it at this point right. in time like this was my choice we now have so many pets that like this is just my life right this is my life now <laughs> right oh my god amazing oh. Well, yes, we are going to get into a couple more announcements in today's topic but first let's hear from our first sponsor today's episode is brought to you by amazon publishing So I got a story with a little Old West debauchery, if you want to get a little messy. So there is a city steeped in the Old West mess. And in the city, a reporter is following every lead to a dangerous place, one that could bring him glory and fame or end his life. New York Times bestselling author Robert Dugoni is back with a gripping new thriller of corruption, vice, and murder set in Depression-era Seattle. It's about a reporter covering a hot murder trial who soon learns nothing is what it seems. 
The story can make his career if he lives to write about it. You can learn more at amazon.com slash a killing on the hill. So yes, A Killing on the Hill by Robert Dugoni is what you need to pick up if you are into some depression era danger in Seattle. It's a city of big dreams and dark ambitions. And this reporter gets caught up in the muck. So make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Amazon Publishing for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Harper Horizon, publisher of Walk Ride Paddle. Walk Ride Paddle is a captivating memoir of Senator Tim Kaine's physical journey through the Virginia wilderness, but it is also a unique and ultimately optimistic perspective on these pivotal moments in history, offering inspiration, wisdom, and hope. With immediacy and honesty, Kane pulls back the curtain to reveal his inner thoughts during such monumental times. And Kane's storytelling gift and wise observations offer a fascinating glimpse into the mind of a seasoned politician and outdoor enthusiast. Walk Ride Paddle is available everywhere audiobooks are sold on April 9th. It is narrated and written by Tim Kaine, Virginia Senator and former Democratic vice presidential candidate. It's a compelling account of one man's journey across hundreds of miles of Virginia wilderness and a moving testament to the optimistic spirit of America. So make sure to check out Walk Ride Paddle by Tim Kaine. And thanks again to Harper Horizon, publisher of Walk Ride Paddle, for sponsoring this episode. Okie doke. So before we really dive into more YA talk, um, I have a couple of announcements from Book Riot. First of all, um, come work for Book Riot. Book Riot is currently hiring both an ad ops associate and a full stack web developer. Um, those resumes um, are due very soon. Um, you have uh, just a few days for the ad ops associate and until the end of the month for the web developer. So you can always check out our job listings at riotnewmedia.com forward slash careers. Um, we want to see your resumes. The other announcement is that Valentine's Day is coming up. And if you are looking for the perfect Valentine's gift for your bookish boo, gift tailored book recommendations. Your boo will tell our professional book nerds about what they love and what they don't and what their reading goals are and what they need more of in their bookish life. And then they can sit back while our bibliologists go to work selecting books just for them. TBR has plans for every budget and you can choose between getting books in the mail and recommendations via email. So surprise your bookish boo with tailored book recommendations this Valentine's by visiting mytbr.co slash gift. All right. That is what I have for today <laughs> as far as official announcements. Yes. Now that we've gotten that out of the way. Yes. Uh, I'm so excited about this topic, mm -hmm. which I think, again, was another banger of an idea from you, Erica. I don't even remember thinking of that. <laughs> it's been so long. I don't remember when, but thank you. I have no idea who, yeah, I just forget it, but thank you for the shout out. I appreciate it. Oh, of course. Um, we are going to be talking about queer friendship in YA this Ooh. week, which, yes, I personally love this topic because mm. I feel like, you know, when we first started seeing queer YA books coming out, like, you know, 10, 15 years ago. I mean, obviously there were queer YA books before that, but like when, when you started to see more of them coming out, mm -hmm. they, they tended to like trend towards um, coming out stories yeah. or like stories of like, oh, I'm queer, self-identity, you know, first love, angst, okay, all of which is very valid. Yeah. And then we started getting more like sweet romances, which I'm like, yes, That's again, cute. we need all of that. Mm -hmm. But the reality, I think now especially, um, because teens, I mean, I'm generalizing here, mm. teens seem very, like, way more comfortable, like, just being out and queer now than they did when I was in high school. Yeah. And again, I know that's a massive generalization, not to minimize the fact that the, for many people, it's not safe to be out. And it's still kind of rough being a queer teen, especially in certain states. Yeah. But... I think that that's all the more reason, though, why the friendship stories are important. Because mm. for me, I did not have any queer friends as a teenager. That didn't happen for me until I was in my 20s. And then I was like, oh, my gosh, queer friendships are everything. Yeah. Like, it's romance is great. But I think, you know, friendships are some of the most important relationships that you can have in your life. And really good friendships 
are invaluable and queer friendships, especially like queer friends just can like get you in ways that like straight friends don't necessarily do. And I have many wonderful straight friends, but I really do value my queer friendships. And there is something special about those queer friendships that I just, yeah, it's hard to articulate, but they're awesome. No, that makes, that definitely makes sense. I feel like you can correct me if I'm like off base. It could just be that I've been paying attention to it. I've been noticing it more and it's always been there. But I feel like there has been more of a push to have like more books on friendship lately, like the past few years or whatever, even outside of YA. Um, But especially within YA, um, like you said, the trends you were noting for queer books, like the coming out and then sweet romance and everything. And I'm like, yes, friendships are so important. And especially for, I think, for marginalized identities, um, I'm not queer, but I can speak as a black person. We've talked about found family and stuff like that, like how important that is mm-hmm. when your um, support system is, uh, let's say, interrupted or not as fully fleshed out as it needs to be to support you as a person in this world. So, you know, black people, queer people, you know, marginalized people have a tradition of finding like new family and stuff like that. And that totally. new family, those start, they start off as their friends. So I, I've seen it with my queer friends, like the importance of it. Um, so yeah, it is super important. Yeah. I, I also just, I love reading about friendships. Cause like you said, I, I feel like, yeah. I feel like we don't talk like as a society, we don't talk enough about friendships. Like we are talk, we talk a lot about romantic relationships. Like there's romantic relationship advice and stuff like that. And like friendships are important relationships, as you said, and we should work. They require work as well, and they, you know, should. I think they should have more importance placed on them. But yeah, yeah. So that's my spiel <laughs> on friendship. I think yeah, and like I know again, this is a YA podcast. Yeah. But like especially when you become an adult, like there is so much societal importance placed on like. like romantic relationships and partnerships and like getting married building like families that are like you know fit the idea of like oh you get married and you have kids and like i'm not to say that those aren't important Mm. but you know i'm closer to my friends who might have no blood or marriage ties to than some of the people that I am actually related to by blood in my marriage. And yeah. And I think that it's just like, it's sort of unfair to kind of assume that like those relationships aren't as important Mm -hmm. just because there isn't that connection. Yeah. It can, they can be so valuable. And I think like, I've always sort of like agreed with that and understood it, but I really felt it when I went to, two of my friends got married this last fall Mm -hmm. and, you know, my partner was in their wedding and we went and we were there for like the entire long weekend of like helping them, you know, set up their, their wedding day and meeting all of their like actual like blood relatives Mm -hmm. And I just felt, like, so close to them. And their family was were so welcoming to us. And I was like, yeah, like, these are amazing people. Mm-hmm. So, like, that sort of, like, closeness, it's it's not valued as often as it is, it, is, it should be when you become an adult. But I do think in YA there's more space for, like, having those, those deep, connective yeah. type friendships. And so we're going to talk about the queer ones, which Yay. is awesome. Yay. These are some good ones, too. I'm excited. Me, too. Do you want to start us off? Certainly. The first one I have is As You Walk On By by Julian Winters. And this just came out like January 17th, I believe. It is about Theo Wright, who is 17. And he has like this grand plan. It's not really his plan. It's his dad's plan. You know how that works out. Basically, it's just doing well in school and going to college. I mean, I guess it's not that I guess it's not a super unique plan, but He's trying to go to school on a scholarship and stuff like that. So that's his future. That's what he's looking forward to in the future. But for now, he's trying to go to prom. And he and his friends have always um, like dared each other to do things like since freshman year um, to do like certain ridiculous things, things they'd be scared of, stuff like that. So one of his friends, Jay, asks Theo or dares him, I should say, to ask Theo's crush Christian out to prom. And so he does it and it goes terribly wrong. Theo is like embarrassed and stuff like that. 
And they were supposed to, he asked him to go to this like um, exclusive party or whatever, because he goes to school with like privileged kids and stuff like that. So it goes wrong and it goes wrong because, well, Christian has a boyfriend, but Jay, Jay kind of knew that. And then once Theo finds out, he's like, bro, why'd you set me? Like, he's thinking like, why did he set me up like this? Understandably. So he kind of basically like isolates himself (laughs) in a bedroom at this party. And he's just like thinking, thinking on his life. He's having like this mini existential crisis. He's thinking on his friendships. He's thinking on his friendship with Jay and like how, they got to be in this like very kind of like tense, their current tense relationship. Like, why is it like that? Theo also thinks about when he's done friends dirty. So it makes him like just analyze his whole life. And so as the night continues, he realizes he's not like the only one experiencing things like this. Um, And he has different classmates that kind of, join him and they commiserate and stuff like that. The blurb compares it to the breakfast club. I've never seen the breakfast club, so I can't attest. <sighs> really? <laughs> I mean, tears of the, not- the, <laughs> the sigh was perfect. You were like, oh. <laughs> I thought you were muted at first until you did that. <laughs> that was perfect. Was um, I mean, I'm not going to get on here and be like, you must watch The Breakfast Club. Like, it is the best movie ever. Like, it's been years since I've seen it. Mm-hmm. But, like, it's to me, it's like one of those cultural touchstones at least for like millennials that I'm kind of like, Oh, that's interesting. But also, I will readily admit, I don't know how many Gen Zers actually have seen or have, like, would want to watch The Breakfast Club. And I know that some of those those movies from the 80s are super problematic, like 16 say. Candles. Oh, I remember 16, because the girl, I'm blanking on her name, but she was like... Molly Ringwald. Yeah, she was in Breakfast Club, right? Yes. And when yes. wasn't Charlie Sheen problematic self in Breakfast Club also? Oh, see, I don't remember The Breakfast Club well enough. I just remember the horrifically racist and sexist stuff in 16 Candles. So So so, skip that one. Right. So Breakfast Club was not because I I thought that Breakfast Club was problematic, but I might have confused it with 16 Candles. It might be. I just haven't seen it in forever. I'm just surprised that you haven't seen it because I feel like, you know, again, it's one of those touchstone things. Yeah. But I'm not saying like, oh, my gosh, you have to go watch it. Mm -hmm. That was just I just had an involuntary reaction. You did. And I loved it. It was very funny. You were like, oh. I mean, yeah. Yeah. John Hughes. It's, you know, so many of those teen movies of the 80s. But anyhow. Now I want to see it. I just looked it up. It's only like what an hour and a half. Yeah, it came out in 1985. That's probably why I didn't see it. I think it's an interesting one to watch. Maybe we should do an episode about this Mm. just because I have noticed in recent years there is this trend of... Okay, let me back up. Mm. So obviously, if you're listening to this, you probably know what The Breakfast Club is about. But if, if you haven't... The idea is that, like, it's this really ragtag group of teens who have to go do Saturday detention. And the movie really leans into, like, this idea of, like, stereotypes and stereotypes almost as caricatures. So each character kind of represents this different high school stereotype. And then they all come together and have to do this, you know, detention thing. And they see each other in a different light. And I'm seeing YA books that do that, where it's like, you have the jock, you have the nerd. And like, they're throwing them together in different situations. And sometimes they're like murder mysteries. And sometimes they're just like, you know, contemporary takes on that. So I do think it's an interesting sort of structure that I've seen a resurgence of in YA. Mm, that does sound interesting. So we could do like, I could watch the movie. <laughs> <laughs> and I would rewatch it. And then we could chat about yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> that would be, that would actually be very interesting. I think we should do yeah. that. And it'll be okay. interesting to... As someone, you have seen it already and then like rewatching, you can kind of like compare like things that you maybe didn't notice before. And I will be like, oh, I've never seen it before. And these are my thoughts. So that sounds fun. Yeah. All right. So that's just a teaser for a future episode. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we had to address uh, Tears' involuntary gasp. Yeah. <laughs> which was perfect. I loved it. That's funny. So, yes, this is. This has a comparison to The Breakfast Club, which I obviously, as you know, cannot speak to at the moment. But it is such a great exploration of friendship and kind of introspection and stuff like that. So 
Definitely check this out as you walk on by by Julian Winters. Awesome. Um, my next pick is also somewhat um, related to a party. It is called Late to the Party by Kelly Quinlan. First off, I love Kelly Quinlan's um, contemporary novels. Like they are so achingly real and quirky in very specific ways that make them feel real. In my opinion, she's like a master class of you know, writing YA contemporary books and also group dynamics. So Late to the Party is about three teenagers, or really one teenager at the center of this friend group. Her name is Cody, and she and her two best friends are Jacori and Maritza. All three of them are some kind of queer. You know, Cody's lesbian, Maritza is bisexual and Jacori is gay. I don't know why, but some kind of queer tickled me. Just the phrase. I don't know. Just how you said it. Some kind of, was it like that? Some, some kind, kind of, queer. of wonderful. <laughs> some kind of queer. All right. Cool. Sorry. Yes. And so they, yeah, so they are, you know, like a pretty tight group, but they are not like the outgoing party people of high school. And so it's summer. I think it's the summer before their junior year. And Maritza and Jacori are like, this is the summer we find love. And in order to find romance, we need to step outside of our comfort zone. And their comfort zone is usually like hanging out in each other's basements and at coffee shops. And so Cody is like definitely on board with the idea of like, she would love to find a girlfriend, but she's not on board with the idea of getting outside of her comfort zone. And so she's really reluctant, but her two best friends are like, no, we're going to crash this like popular kid party. And it's like a bunch of seniors or rising seniors are throwing this party and they're just going to, you know, go crash it. And she's like, yeah, guys, no, I'm, I'm not about to do that. And they're like, fine, we'll go without you. And they do. And she's kind of like a little bit bothered by this, but like not enough that like she goes to the party with them. But it backfires on everybody because Jacori and Maritza get so drunk that they need Cody to come pick them up and bail them out. And she's just kind of like, I told you guys this was a bad idea. And so she arrives late to the party and she's looking for her friends and she witnesses the party's host, who's this um, senior named Ricky, kissing another boy. And she's like a little surprised because she didn't realize that Ricky was out and gay. But then like, you know, she's just kind of like, okay, whatever. But Ricky kind of flips out because he, as it turns out, is not out. And he asks that she keep it secret. And she's like, yeah, cool. No problem. Like, don't, you don't have to worry about me. Like your secret's safe with me. And so she bails out her drunk friends. And then she goes back the next day because she feels bad for Ricky. And he's her, her kind of her neighbor. They live in the same subdivision. And she goes and she's like, do you need any help cleaning up after the party? And he's kind of surprised by this. And they strike up this really lovely, unexpected friendship. It feels really natural to the both of them. And I don't know if you've ever like had that experience in life where like, you meet somebody and like, you don't even try. You're like, okay, we're friends now. And it's so magical yeah. and lovely when that happens. And it's so rare. Um, and that is kind of what happens with Cody and Ricky is they just, they become friends. And Cody is really happy about this. Like she, she thinks he's really cool. And Ricky introduces her to his friend group and his wider circle, which is a little bit different from the people that she knows. And along the way, she finds a new crush and um, her, her social circle expands and she like really likes these people. But here's the kicker. She doesn't tell Maritza or Jacori about any of it. And so all of a sudden, it's like she's living this double life of like one friend group and then the other friend group. And... Um, you know, you can't live a double life forever. So I really liked this book because it is about the complications of friendship and how some friendships, you know, despite the best intentions, you you kind of get stuck in your friendship roles or it can start to feel stifling or it can be hard to grow as a person when you are so tightly wound into a friend group that, you know, kind of expects you to always be the same person. At the same time, it's also about, you know, discovering a new group and learning how to navigate having multiple friends who aren't always friends with each other. Um, there's just a lot of nuance here. So I thought it was fantastic. I think that Kelly Quinlan does a great job at writing large group dynamics. She does a great job at writing like sibling dynamics. And there is a romance here, but it is not the like the heart of the book. The heart of the book really is all the friendships. And for me, that just rang 
really true because I was not the type of teenager that was dating in high school. Um, So for me, my most important relationships were my friendships and my relationships with my family members. So I just thought it was excellent. Um, That is Late to the Party by Kelly Quinlan. And also, I will say, just as I was like kind of a theme, I guess, like, you know, issues with friendships in YA and teenage years, like translate to the same thing in adult years. I feel like people still do that thing where they like separate their friends. I don't know if it's because like, maybe we're slightly different people with certain friends, like certain people bring out certain aspects of you. And that's different. I don't know, different from how you are. Maybe that's just some people I've seen, but I definitely see people keep certain friend groups separate, even into adult years. So And sometimes I struggle with it. So I know that it is a struggle for teenagers. It is hard. I think it's, I mean, maybe not necessarily like an adult or a teenage thing, but just like a human thing Mm -hmm. where like if you have different friend groups and different friend situations, it can sometimes be difficult to mesh the two together. Yeah. I've seen it happen well, but I've also seen it like not happen so well. And like, you know, it's valid. It's, It's okay to have like, you know, these are my you know, school friends and these are my work friends or whatever, but these are my LARPing I, friends. <laughs> right. This is my like friends I only see like once a year, but we talk on, you know, Marco Polo all the time. Yeah. So yeah. Friendships they're just they're, they're complex. They're complicated. Yeah. They are complex. So Yeah. So next one I have is The Boy in the Red Dress by Kristen Lambert. And this is right, super right up my alley. It's a mystery, takes place in 1929 in New Orleans, which I'm just like, oh, give it all to me. I love it. I love the setting. I love the time. Um, So Millie is like, how old is Millie? Like 17, I think. I forgot the age, but Millie is like about 17. Or she's running this speakeasy called The Cloak and Dagger while her aunt is out of town and Millie's friend Marion is a queer performer who is like the star of the club and he has many fans um they're kind of like you know underground like kind of type lipped about it it's one of those situations again it's 1929 but he's super duper popular so one day this socialite comes up up to Marion and is like she has this photograph of him and starts asking him these weird like questions. It's kind of weird. Um, she thinks Millie thinks she's just like another fan. She's like, okay, whatever. But then the girl shows up dead. So she's like, okay. And Marion is now a lead suspect in the girl's death. And this could be at least partially because of his queerness. So there is, you know, heads up for anti-queerness again, 1929, not okay but it's reality of the situation so millie sets out to prove her friend's innocence you know she sleuths it up as it were um she kind of takes a little time out to entertain a crush of hers this girl named olive which is might be a little on the nose because she's like olive's toned or something i'm like all right um her skin tone is like olive or whatever but yes so she kind of entertains olive a little bit olive also helps her sleuth it up She also, Millie also gets help by this bootlegger named Benny. And I'm also just realizing the alliteration there. (laughs) I'm like, these names, my goodness. So she gets help by those, with those two, by those two, sorry. And they set out to basically prove Marion's innocence. It's New Orleans. So, so there's like, you know, New Orleans is, is like such a wonderful setting for any kind of book. I think I love New Orleans. Um, just think of like, you know, the lavish, I don't know if lavish is the correct word, but like ornate is probably a better word. These ornate cemeteries, all these different places she ends up looking for clues to who killed this girl. It also explores um, class, racism, privilege, wealth, you know, have the have nots, queerness, of course. Um, so I, it's a, it's a fun read, I think. And it's centered on this girl proving her friend's innocence. Like I said, there's a little romance, but it's not, it doesn't like take precedence really. So again, that is The Boy in the Red Dress by Kristen Lambert. Awesome. My next pick is Kings, Queens, and In-Betweens by Tanya Bofeju. And this is such 
a lovely, heartfelt, and like also painfully awkward in the best way book. Um, it is about Nima. She is biracial. She is a lesbian. She lives in a small town in Canada. And she is not having a great time at the beginning of this book. So at the very beginning of the book, her mom has left the family unexpectedly without explanation. She also is crushing on her straight girlfriend, um, Jenny. And at the beginning of the book, she confesses her feelings to Jenny. And Jenny's like, yeah, sorry. No, I don't feel the same way. And so that's crushing. That um, is rough. She, it's really I rough. Take project well. <laughs> um, yeah, no, neither neither do I. And so much to the fact that, like, I would have never done no, any sort of confessing of confessing of true love as a teenager. No, absolutely not. Not acceptable. <laughs> no. Um, so... She also has a friend named Charles who um, he's like awkward like she is, but at least she's got one friend. And then she also has this nemesis that she has this weird, complicated history with. And so, you know, she's she's struggling at the beginning of the book. And so she heads to her like neighboring town's like summer festival. And while there, she happens to slip into a tent where there's a drag show going on. And Nima is like entranced because she's never seen drag performed um, in real life before. And she is really fascinated by the performance, but she's also fascinated in particular by the performers. And so she ends up making friends with a drag queen named Deirdre. And then also connecting with another girl named Winnow, who is queer and performs as a drag king um, on occasion. Um, But really, it's her friendship with Deirdre that I kind of wanted to talk about because Nima is so clueless, like go to a party and get so nervous about seeing a girl that she likes that she accidentally drinks too much and like embarrasses herself type of clueless. Like it's, it's a type of like situations that like as I'm reading I am cringing but I'm also like I feel for her so much because she she just doesn't know where to put all of her feelings and really this relationship that she has with Deirdre is you know just founded in like love and care and also wanting to just help Nima kind of figure out and find her own way. And it's, it, I thought it was like a really lovely, healthy friendship that was shown. And Deirdre's, you know, a little older than Nima, but um, is really able to act as a friend and mentor. And that's always lovely to see because I think a lot of times there's a lot of like weird gatekeeping in queer culture or like this expectation that you'll just know and understand certain things. And that's not always the case. And, you know, it's, it can be really isolating to feel like you want to be a part of a community, but don't understand how, because people are like, what? You don't understand all of the subtext and all of this. And um, what this book does is it just kind of shows this, this girl who really doesn't know a lot, but she's learning and she has some wonderful friends and mentors who help her out along the way, which isn't to say that there isn't some awkwardness and misunderstanding. But overall, I thought it was just such a lovely, excellent book. It is Kings, Queens, and In-Betweens by Tanya Boteju. Awesome. Okay, so I have another book to talk about, of course. But before that, let's hear from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Scribner. Weird Black Girls by Elwyn Cotman is a collection of seven stories in which characters pursue their obsessions on paths to glory and destruction, while all around them their worlds twist and warp, oscillating between reality and impossibility. On display throughout is Cotman's ability to reveal truths about the human experience, about things like friendship, love, betrayal, bitterness, all through whimsy, horror, and fantasy. Elegiac in tone, imaginative, and humorous in their execution, the character-driven stories in Weird Black Girls challenge, incite, and entertain. The author's last book was named one of NPR's Best Books of the Year and was a finalist for the Philip K. Dick Award, with reviews appearing in The New York Times, Wired, BuzzFeed, and Locus, among other publications. Definitely make sure to check out Weird Black Girls by Elwyn Cotman. And thanks again to Scribner for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Bloom Books. 
Charming, easygoing, and rich, Xavier Castillo has the world at his fingertips. He also has no interest in taking over his family's empire, but that hasn't stopped women from throwing themselves at him. Unless, of course, the woman in question is his publicist. The cool, the intelligent, the ambitious Sloan Kensington, who is a high-powered publicist who's used to dealing with difficult clients, but none infuriate or tempt her more than a certain billionaire heir with his stupid dimples and laid-back attitude. She may be forced to work with him, but she'll never fall for him because he's a client and that's all he'll ever be, right? Right, girl, like we all know. So just in case you didn't know, author Anna Wong is the best-selling author and book talk viral author of the Twisted Love series, the King of Sin series. Miss Wong, gotta go on on, okay? Make sure to check out King of Sloth by Anna Wong. And thanks again to Bloom Books for sponsoring this episode. Okay, so the next one I have is Little and Lion by Brandy Colbert. And this is about Suzette who goes to a boarding school in England. She goes back home to LA. And when she gets there, she's like, um, do I have to go back? school because all of her friends and family are in LA and she well she knows everyone in LA she's used to LA and she also has a brother Lionel who has been diagnosed with bipolar disorder and she wants to be there to support him so she's settling back into the old groove of things and she finds herself starting to crush on um, this new girl um, but then Lionel is having having mental health issues, and she basically is just trying to help him with that. She actually herself is multiracial. She's like black and Jewish. And one thing with this book is that there are it's diverse, but not like checking a list, checking boxes, I guess you could say. So it feels like, the characters are like real and fleshed out and stuff. And they feel like they're from the culture that they're from. And she has like very, very like real friends, like very supportive friends. Like I said, she's black and Jewish. There's also a, um, a friend of hers who is Korean and black. And there is a disabled friend and different stuff. So I feel like I'm listing off like different marginalized identities, but I'm just saying like her friend group is supportive and they're diverse and they have intersecting identities. So as she is trying to help her brother deal with um, his mental health issues and, you know, exploring this crush that she has, she's getting the support from her friends and it's just like a really like sweet and it's not just sweet. It's also just, it's talking about about friendships and it's also about family because her brother is her stepbrother actually. So um, they're not related by blood, but it talks about how rough it can be trying to be a supportive person when someone is struggling with mental health issues. And you don't always have the answers because you're not, you know, a trained, you know, mental health care provider. So it'll be difficult, but it's just important to try to be supportive rather than provide solutions, basically just like, you know, provide emotional support. And I think that this book shows that very well. Yeah, it's contemporary YA, of course, if you couldn't tell. And it has a great way that it um, explores the relationship dynamics between Suzette and the other people in her life. So that is again, Little and Lion by Brandy Colbert. Awesome. I think I've had a copy of this thing on my TBR for like literal years. Now. Yeah. I'm embarrassed. That's how it is. But <laughs> yeah. Ain't that just the way? It, it sure um, is. <laughs> my next pick is You Know Me Well by David Levithan and Nina LaCour. This book came out um, probably six or seven years ago now. And it is a marvelous story with lots of queer friendships at the center. It is about a guy named Mark who is gay and a girl named Kate who is a lesbian. Um, they are 
two people who kind of have always known who each other is, are, but like they haven't really ever talked or been friends. But over the course of Pride Week in San Francisco, they connect and they discover this really exciting, wonderful, sort of soul-sustaining friendship um, that neither of them expected to have. So um, the first day that they meet, Mark is just getting over the fact that like his best friend and secret crush does not like him the way that he wants to be liked. And then Kate is also really nervous because she's about to meet this girl that they she's been talking to online and she's going to meet her in person and she thinks that she's perfect and they she knows that this girl likes her too. Um but she panics and she runs away and she doesn't end up meeting her. So then they meet and they have like this epic night during Pride Month and then they in the course of the week that follows kind of have to deal with like the choices that they made but also this new reality of of friendship and like can they fix you know their um, relationships and their mistakes and where do they go from here it's I thought it was a really great book that had a lot of you know interesting friendship moments there's so many queer characters in this book. So like I said, this book came out like six or seven years ago. And I remember when I first read it, I was like blown away because I had never read a book with that was like set in the real world that had so many queer characters in it. Like I think every character is, again, some kind of queer, um, except for like maybe the straight parents. And uh, this was also the first book where I read in YA where somebody used they, them pronouns. Obviously, that's no longer as novel now as it was, you know, six or seven years ago. But back then I was like, whoa, this is amazing. So I just really liked the book and I actually read it again. I read it when it first came out and then I read it again, like within the last year or two. And I think it holds up pretty well. So definitely pick up You Know Me Well by David Levithan and Nina LaCour. I've been hearing about, well, not been hearing, it's been out for a minute, but that has been on my TBR is what I mean to say. And I was just about to ask you how it held up after all those years, but that sounds good. Yeah, I think, how do I want to say this? It's a very precise look at a very specific community of queer Mm. folks. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, the type that like live in San Francisco or Mm. they live close enough to San Francisco that they can take the train into, you know the town or the city and just like be right there and like join in and all of like the pride stuff. I remember thinking when I first read the book, I was probably in grad school and I was like, I can't really relate to these characters because I am like a rural Midwestern queer, but it was lovely to read. And I know that like, you know, those characters are are genuine and like based off of a real community. Um, and then when I read it again later, I was like, oh, you know, this is this is lovely. But like, again, this is not like, I would say your typical teenage queer experience, uh, at least not that I am familiar with, but I still thought it was good. So yeah, I do think that certain areas are gonna be, I don't want to say privileged. That's not the right word. Queer kids are gonna be more comfortable in certain areas. I imagine like, around New York City, around San Francisco. Yeah. But it's like, that's not going to be the reality for a lot of people. So it makes sense. Yeah. That sounds really good. Okay. The last one I have is Odd One Out by Nick Stone. And it's kind of messy. So it's about Courtney or Coop, Cooper and Jupiter, right? So they start out, they're friends. And Courtney has a crush on Jupiter, which is like, all right, cool. Like, you know, friendship to lovers, except not because Jupiter is gay. She's a lesbian. And Courtney is a straight dude. And he knows that she's gay. He's not like trying to convert her or anything, whatever, any weird stuff like that. But he's just like, he can't help but to like her. But he knows that she likes girls. So it's just like, you know, messy. So even like the relationship he has with other girls um, they kind of end because people don't trust, they don't trust that his best friend is like this, um, you know, very popular, interesting girl. And even though he's like, well, she's into girls, they are just like, okay, well, <laughs> I don't believe you. It's so messy. So then there's this third person that comes in. Her name is Ray. And Jupiter has a crush on Ray. But then Ray feels like she might have a crush on Coop or Jupiter. Like she's not quite sure. 
So, as I said, messy. But this is an exploration of like the bonds between French friends, how they can kind of turn romantic, and sometimes like exploring that. Because I think that I've had friends who I I would say I think they liked me, and this is not to me uh, when I was actually this age. But I feel like sometimes it's as we're talking about like you know romance, romantic relationships versus platonic like friendships, those kind of relationships. I think sometimes based on gender, like if someone really likes you as a friend because of gender norms, people might think they like you romantically when it's because just because you're like you know cisgender, male, female, whatever. And sometimes it's not that. Sometimes it's just that you are really good friends. And I think it's good to see, you know, cisgender male and female people be just platonic friends and not have it turn into anything. But this one, obviously, there is a potential for that. I won't let you know what happens, of course. No spoilers. But (laughs) it explores all of that in an interesting way. So, again, Odd One Out by Nick Stone. Awesome. Yeah. Mm. Friendships and gender roles and expectations. Mm -hmm. So complicated. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, Yes. So my final pick for today is The Chandler Legacies by Abdi Nazamian. And this one is set in the late 90s. Like, I think it's 1999, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, I read this book like a year ago. But it is about these five teenagers at a very hoity-toity elite New England boarding school. So there are five characters, Beth, Sarah, Spence, Ramin, and Freddie. And they are not really friends at all. In fact, Beth and Sarah used to be roommates and that went disastrously and they hate each other's guts. (laughs) And Ramin is like the new transfer student. He's Iranian and he actually has just come to the U.S. to go to school at this boarding school specifically because he is gay and that is a big crime in Iran. And he basically knew that he had to leave the country in order for his own safety. So that's, you know, kind of intense. And yeah, then like Freddie is like a really great athlete who has a shot at the Olympics, but he doesn't really want to take that shot. And then Spence is like an aspiring actor and she's really talented and she's comes from like this really privileged family. So that's kind of like where all um, five of these characters are coming from. And they, at the start of the school year, all apply to be in this like very you know, exclusive sought after writing workshop with a teacher or professor that they all really like. And she's like really um, well known and she's published a book that everybody is just like in love with. And so she only takes like a very small number of students every semester and it's kind of competitive. And these five are chosen to be a part of her creative writing workshop. And they're kind of caught off guard, though, because, like, during the creative writing workshop, she doesn't necessarily, like, want them to, like, read stories or novels and pick them apart. She is challenging them, really, to, like, think about their themselves and their lives and, like, challenging them to, like, be good people. At the same time, she's also challenging them to write, like, from the heart. And mm. that's hard considering that they don't really know each other and some of them really don't like each other. And so, yeah, her homework is like, like her homework will be like, you guys all have to hang out together before like the next workshop. And like some of them are like, are you kidding me? And others are like, well, let's just do this for the grade. And so it's kind of awkward. But what ends up happening is that like, yeah, they're forced to spend time with each other. And they also start seeing things from each other's perspectives um it's not always perfect like sometimes it's a little bit messy especially considering Mm. that some of them have history and you know they make mistakes and they hurt each other along the way but they also really truly do become friends and um the thing about this friend group is like i think four out of five of them are all like again some kind of queer um like either (laughs) bisexual or um gay or lesbian and they realize over the course of their friendship, and some of them do develop, you know, romantic relationships with each other, that the school that they go to and their writing instructor in particular has some dark secrets that have been Ooh. buried and that have been <gasps> hidden. Ooh. 
Yeah. And so they make a plan for like, okay, we got to like address this or we got to fix it or we've got to, you know, do something. So they are basically like, okay, how can we turn our writing and our friendship into something that will like actually fix the problem? Interesting. And yeah, it was good. I mean, it's interesting that it was set in the 90s and Hmm. I'm not really certain... Which is contemporary. That's still contemporary. It's contemporary. Yeah, we're going to insist that it's contemporary. It's definitely contemporary. It's it's interesting that it was set in the 90s. And I kind of wondered a little bit about that decision Hmm. just because on one hand, I can see why it might have been neater because you don't have to contend with like cell phone. Like there is a cell, like people do have cell phones because these are rich kids in 1999 and rich kids in 1999 did have cell phones. Yeah. But like you don't have to contend with like social media yeah, social and like media. the proliferation of cell phones and the internet and then that kind of makes some of the plot points a little bit neater but um yeah it was it's interesting it was set in the late 90s very you know a specific point in time i have not read abdi nazamian's other ya novel like a love story but i think that is about the aids crisis either the late 80s or early 90s mm-hmm. And it was also about friendship. So I, I, yeah, I really like the Chandler legacies, though. Um, it was really interesting. I was not expecting that, like, most of the characters would end up queer, but I was, like, happy to discover that. So um, that is, like, I think one aspect about the book that maybe isn't, like, super marketed or publicized. But um, if you want to read about five people who come together and develop a great you know friendship and a point of connection for a lot of them is is their queerness then the chandler legacies pick it up it's great that sounds really interesting actually yeah i i liked it i mm-hmm. mean it was one of those books that i think i picked up probably for a podcast episode that might not have been something that i would have picked up otherwise and yeah. then i read it and i was like really glad that i had read it and really glad that you know i had reason to because i don't i think I, it might have slipped past my notice otherwise yeah i heard about it but i didn't even remember i remember when it like came out it's relatively new but i didn't remember yeah like a year ago out. yeah it's like yeah. pretty fresh um yeah no that sounds really good yeah it was awesome so highly recommend it but those are our books for this week i think we are yeah that's it for us that's all Um, we got that's all (laughs) all we got but obviously we love queer friendship books they're Mm -hmm. important please do seek these books out and if you have any recommendations hit us up we'd love to hear them Thank you so much for tuning in and um, know that you can always leave feedback about the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It lets us know how we're doing, but it also helps others find us, which we appreciate. And you can always email us at heyya@bookriot.com. Finally, don't forget to visit bookriot.com for newsletters, more podcasts, and all things bookish. Thank you to today's sponsors for helping make the show possible. And thanks, as always, to our awesome audio editor, Jen Fink. Um, you can follow me on Instagram. I hang out at, at Tears of Price. What about you, Erica? On Twitter at Erica underscore E-Z-E underscore. Awesome. Well, I will be back again next week to talk about all things ALA Youth Media Awards. And then we'll both be back in a couple of weeks with a new long episode. Yay. Yeah. Until then, happy reading. Happy reading. Happy reading.